welcome back to Red, White, and Vroom Podcasting. Formula One, IndyCar, and Zeppelin Rallycross, a production of Consolidated Sleutheria Media. I'm your host, Jonathan, and joining me on the other line, she's raising her daughter to be a master thief of rare books. It is Elena! Welcome, Elena. Isn't that right? Completely accurate. Although, you know, I was just reading an article that a toddler broke into the White House and uh, slipped (laughs) through the fence. And when the Secret Service returned him to his parents, they questioned him. Uh, Sorry, they questioned the parents, not the toddler, uh, (laughs) before they were allowed to leave. So that maybe is the new goal. Truly, Baby Geniuses is a documentary. That toddler was an assassin. Clearly. And the official disclaimer, for the purposes of this podcast, I officially know nothing about anything, while Elena knows something about several things. None of them officially. All right. Elena, it is good to be back. It is good to be potting. It is good to have a race to talk about. Um, where there is some controversies, there's some things to discuss, and so we need to get to the most urgent matters of the hour. The Aero McLaren Indianapolis 500 livery launch. What do you think? So when I first saw them, I didn't like them, but they've been growing on me. Growing on you. Let's hear it. So I think the concept is very stupid because... So, for those who didn't pay attention to it, their concept is the Racing Triple Crown, which is the Indy 500, the Monaco Grand Prix, and Le Mans. And that's a very great achievement for a person. One person has ever won won all three. Several people have chased it. But for a team to be like, oh yes, we are the team that has won all three of these events, they're also one of the only teams that has competed in all three. I really don't think it's the accomplishment they think it is. Be- so I think the concept is very stupid. But I really like the like paying homage to iconic vehicles of the past. I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. much as when I first saw them, I was like, eh. uh, the liveries have grown on me in that regard. Plus, I think the most boring of them, Pados, is the black one is actually, like, really, like, sleek and good-looking. So I have decided that I like them, even though my initial reaction was, this is terrible. Uh Uh-huh. I I was mixed. I agree that the theme is, I will say, mixed. I will say that it, like, reaches towards something, but tries to make fetch happen a little too much because especially it's not as if they have won these recently you know yeah what they are paying homage to is like the 1970s the 1990s and i mean that in a way is great at pointing to your heritage and tradition across motorsport series but i just don't think you've quite gotten it and you've, you're making fetch happen with this whole triple crown 
uh, insistent. I mean, it honestly reads to me as McLaren's really desperate to remind everyone, but we're an F1 too, guys. <laughs> um, that said, I, of the three and now four that we have, uh, which is the reason why we are podcasting today, of course. Uh, this was expertly timed to the launch of the fourth McLaren 500 entry. The fourth one's the best one, to be clear. Yeah, yeah. So that is Tony Tony Kanans, and uh, what what do you love about that? I mean, it looks very Halloweeny. I like that. I mean, uh-huh. it's it's black and orange and i really i really enjoy sort of the overhead shot they had in the release where you see the three stars and it's it's just it's a sleek looking car mhm i it is interesting because of the four i probably like pato's leak uh and i you have to figure that pato got to take first pick of his liveries and so he chose that one um I think black. I've told you. I think I've told you why I think he chose that one, right? Uh, it's because uh, it's, he just launched his Ninja merch line, and this is very on brand with that. And if we know anything about Pato, it's that he has a keen sense of branding. Yes, I I genuinely think that's right. I probably like Rossi's best. Certainly, of the original three, I think Rossi's is the best. If I was Pato, that's the one I would have picked. That's the one that pays homage to the classic. Um, is that the one paying homage to a classic F1 car or Indy car? Do you remember? No, I don't remember. And now I'm embarrassed that I don't remember. Anyways, I, it is the one that is orange, like orange body with white, just sort of essential early 1990s race cariness. And uh, I like it. Uh, Felix's is very good. Pato's, I feel, I don't, I can't put my finger on it, but I feel like they put the all black and made it boring somehow. Um, just a little bit. So I think the problem, I'm a big fan of, you know, the all black race cars. I really liked the Mercedes when they did the all black livery, but the problem is IndyCar has too many sponsors. And all the sponsors want to be very readable. So what should be like a very sleek black car is like actually like 30% white. And that kind of, that kind of spoils it a little bit. Yeah, no. And this actually brings us to a very, something that I was thinking about over the weekend as I, um, before the Long Beach race, uh, was queuing up queued up a classic IndyCar uh, race of the 2002 Long Beach race, which uh, it turns out is Michael Andretti's last IndyCar win. Um, I wouldn't know because I only got through the first like 40 minutes of it before I had to go somewhere. But I, you know, looking at the cars in 2002 or what have you, they're just like the Kmart car, the <laughs> Shell car, the Pennzoil car. They are very clearly recognizable. They have one big sponsor, and they have some other little sponsors as well, but the other sponsors aren't trying to get their own brand recognition in there. It is one car, and I feel like indie cars are now just sort of messy. Um, it depends. And- I mean, some of them, some, like the DHL car is the DHL car, mm-hmm. but like a lot of them have gone sort of the way of like F1 
uh, sponsors where you're like, what is this? Like, what is BitNile? Uh-huh. What is Excel? Yeah, or like AutoNation? AutoNation. AutoNation is big with IndyCar. God. Yeah. Like, a third of the grid is pink. And like... I like, I'm like a car person, not just motorsport. Like I'm into cars and I was like, what on earth is AutoNation? And I looked it up. It's a, it's a car dealership network, but like, I was not familiar with that. Their advertising is not doing them any favors. Oh, well, do better. And by do better, we mean send Elena more pink merch. Yeah. Love the pink merch. Speaking of merch and McLaren, McLaren F1 really stepped up their game this week. They, they uh, McLaren F1, you know, came out uh, of the gates, you know, in the very first Formula One season of uh, 2021, um, uh, which was the first F1 season. There was never any before that. Nope, none. Um, none. Uh, and they were the merch king. Then, in 2022, they slipped. And it's been a question of, how did they abandon this rich merch heritage? And then, what do you know? This year, they bring out, um, you know, a nice old V-neck jersey thing. And then a baseball jersey. What do you think? I like the baseball jersey. I like it. I kind of want it. Probably not going to get it. But... It's definitely, I'm thinking about it. Elena, why would you not get it? I mean, it's very expensive, and I have plenty of baseball jerseys already for actual baseball. Yes, but how many jerseys do you have for motor racing? None. So... Well, no, that's not true. I have one, it just hasn't come in the mail yet. Really? It still hasn't? Well, so what happened? Never be getting it. No, 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 I called them. So I had ordered a Alex Rossi... Uh, Andretti jersey. Yeah, AutoNation jersey, because it was very on sale. And apparently I was not fast enough in ordering it. So it, like, all the other stuff I ordered came. All the stuff I bought for people besides me, but mine didn't come, so I called them a couple weeks ago or a week ago, and was like, hey, hasn't showed up. And they were like, oh yeah, it's sold out. I was like, were you gonna tell me? They were like, no, we, we, we can refund you. And I was like, Okay, well, it's still there in the other size. Can you just switch my order to the other size? And they're like, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. We can't modify orders. We can refund you. And I was like, well, that doesn't do me any good because I already paid for shipping. I don't want to pay for shipping again. And the woman I was talking to goes, oh, I'll just send you a code for free shipping. So they can't, they they refunded me, sent me a code for free shipping. And now I uh, I reordered, but I didn't order the, uh, the AutoNation one in a size that is not the size I wanted. Instead, they now have his McLaren jersey. So I ordered the McLaren one. So it's really the joke's on me because instead of paying 25 bucks for this, I'm going to pay, I'm paying 65 bucks. <laughs> and it's not even pink. Now I understand your reluctance to buy the uh, baseball jersey a little more. Yeah. But it's coming in the mail, and also I took advantage of the free shipping to order more IndyCar merch because I have no self-restraint. Okay, what do you got common? What do you got common? Um, okay, so I it's really just the jersey, a special surprise for someone who I think listens to this podcast, so I'm not going to share. Uh, and a shirt, the Murderhawk shirt for my daughter. 
Oh, that's glorious. And do you hear that, people? A special listener giveaway is coming. <laughs> um, now, speaking of AutoNation, AutoNation had a really big weekend because they won the Long Beach Grand Prix. Yeah. Okay, let, let's get back to uh, the motorsport proper. Kyle Kirkwood uh, won his first uh, career IndyCar race in the AutoNation, AutoNation, AutoNation Honda. What are your thoughts, Elena? I don't like Kyle Kirkwood, but good for him. So, uh, yeah, Kyle Kirkwood has been, you know, he is new on the scene. And so we are figuring out what to do with him. What are what are your thoughts? What what has been bubbling up for you? I just think he has a really punchable face. <laughs> and so I there's a, a wide variety of things that have predisposed me to not like him. Um, one is he's like just very boring. Uh, two, he has a punchable face. Three, he spent most of last season crashing into everyone. Uh, for his incident in the pit lane with Rossi at Texas, which like, yeah, maybe might have been the McLaren team's fault, but I don't care. I'm still holding it against uh, Kirkwood. Uh, I don't know what number I'm on. His Twitter handle, I keep misreading it and thinking says it's K Kirkwood, but my mind misses the letters between the second and third Ks. And so I just read it as KKK and I'm just like, what? Every time. So dislike that. Um, and... I had one more, but I can't remember what it was. In the oh, I remembered. They did a thing where they were showing, I think it was baseball team logos to all the Andretti drivers oh, and having yeah. them. And he knew like none of them. And he thought beyond that, he thought the Oriole was a penguin. So okay, now, now I'm out on Kyle Kirkwood. As an Orioles fan, I am now officially out on Kyle Kirkwood. Yeah, so all of these things have combined to make me not like him, which I think is inc incredibly justified and uh, very well well founded in fact. Okay, Kyle Kirkwood, you are an enemy of the people where the people are defined as Elena. I, so what what do you what do you think of Kirkwood? I, I I I haven't had very many strong feelings about him. You know, he's just sort of he came on the scene last year. He crashed a lot. Now he's on. You know, I, I'm uh, consolidating into my Andretti fandom, and so he is apparently like the face of you know one of the faces of the future of my team and so you know want to sort of keep the uh m an open mind for a little bit but i will say that whole uh rossi incident at texas put him on real thin ice i mean to be honest i think that's like if we were like doing the tiers of my reasons for disliking him that's like definitely mid-tier or like low tier that's not up there but it like that incident was sort of what made me think about my feelings about him for the first time. Uh huh. Yes, it, it was the um uh the the watershed, you know, the the yeah. dam bursting uh factor and incident. I did still put him on my IndyCar fantasy team though, so clearly I I'm mean, not the that kid's biased. Fast. Right. The 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 kid is fast. There's no getting around that. 
Um, and so I, I, I wanted to uh, further litigate the Kirkwood Rossi incident, but we have had an actual race and Grand Prix since then. So uh, I think we may have to save that. And fortunately, we still have uh, ample time to get to the race because Formula One has once again followed IndyCar's leadership in taking <laughs> a four-week break away from racing. <laughs> yeah, it said, you know, we really want to be the pinnacle of open-wheel racing. And we've benchmarked our competition, and this is the thing that IndyCar <laughs> does that really sets it apart from the field. So we better do that so they can't beat us. <laughs> okay. I mean, actually, well, I think Formula One doesn't think about IndyCar at all. It's that meme. But... I thought that until... I forget what it was recently, and now I'm increasingly thinking that Formula One is deeply insecure about IndyCar in a possibly hilarious way. Uh, because IndyCar is certainly insecure about F1. For sure. Alright, so, to Long Beach, where there was actual open-wheel racing. Kyle Kirkwood won, um, and the final thing on Kirkwood, I will say is, of course, Marshall Pruitt is, you know, a great man among motorsport enthusiasts and um, a great journalist and all of that. And he is just, you know, he's a teddy bear and a softy and loves everyone uh, of the drivers. Um but his sort of post-race interview with Kirkwood uh, did soften my heart a little bit because Kirkwood, his eyes were still watery. And, you know, you could tell that he was genuinely, like, he was not too cool for school. He was proud and overwhelmed and touched. And so I appreciated that. See, but, I simply don't consume content that might soften me on drivers who I've decided not to like. Uh-huh. Okay, so me dropping that into the chat just did nothing. You you were ahead of that. And just well, the problem out. the problem was that you, you said that it made you like Kirkwood in it. If you just dropped the link, I would have watched it. Oh, there I go. There I go. I am not interested in changing my mind. Yes. Awesome. Listeners! Email us uh, any links that you uh, think would change my mind, and I will not watch them, but John will. Redwhiteandroom at gmail.com. Um, now, we've done Kirkwood. Speaking of Rossi, the poor man's luck has followed him to McLaren. Apparently, you know, uh, we saw that he went off uh, in the last lap, and apparently it is because a suspension component broke on literally the last lap of the race. And so he went from P6 to the back of the pack. Yeah. Ooh, awkward. Oh, and man. if this were any other driver, I would, I would be saying, well, you know, how much of it is really his luck? How much of our own luck do we create? What, like, how can we be sure that he's not in some way doing this stuff to himself. But as I have stated, I'm not interested in changing my mind, and I like him. Therefore, I'm not going to say any of that. And I will just leave that sort of uh, path as an exercise to the listener. Yeah. 
Oh. And, oh. So, you know, raise a glass to Rossi. May his luck turn. May his luck turn. Cheers um, to that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, his McLaren teammate, Padua Ward, had a very interesting long beach. So uh, th- there were two elements to this. Pado did a, you know, sort of a two-beat weekend. Uh, the first was in qualifying, where, you know, there was a red flag at the end of uh, the Fast 12. And so he was sent out on, you know, sticker tires just in case. They sent Rosenquist ahead of him, you know, to run it out and see if the track would produce a lower lap. And then when they realized it wouldn't, they sent the message to Padua Ward that he does not understand. Save tires. Save tires. Save tires. What did he do, Elena? He did not save his tires. He hit go. He went vroom. He put the pedal to the metal and said, I'm in a racing car. I'm going to race. Yeah. One of our, one of our friends uh, said about, about Pato that he has like a switch in his brain, right? And it's got two modes, vroom and flirt. It's all the thing, all he can do. <laughs> and it was firmly flipped to vroom. So what you going to do? He doesn't know how to save his tires. He doesn't know how to do fuel save. He just knows how to drive freaking fast. Yes. And so the same uh, person made a point that I think is well taken, that at this point, that is on the team of you can't put him out there on tires you don't want him to use. And do I think that that he, he maybe should mature as a racer and learn to do the fuel save thing or do the tire save thing, which is important in strategy. Sometimes you're not always going to have the fastest car when you don't, you got to do something else to try to, you know, make the weekend work. But at the same time, like he's a fast driver. Like let the kid have fun. Yes. And you have to know your driver. Yeah. That, that can be an opportunity for development and growth. That's a long run thing. That is not the driver you have in your car. And so you needed to just hold him back and say, Pato, we believe in you. You put in such a fast lap. Nobody's going to knock you out. You're into the fast six, buddy. And save those stickers. They'd have felt so dumb, though, if they did that. And he didn't make the fast six. Which is what Herda, which is what happened to Herda, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, but then they would have had a set of stickers to, you know, take the race in. And so maybe he would have had more grip or more traction, uh, and so would have gotten clearly ahead of Scott Dixon or actually passed him. So that brings us to day two of Padua Ward's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad weekend. Let's play a game. From our uh, rabid competitor, Miss Apex Podcast, who we are neck and neck with in the podcasting ranking. Whose fault was it anyway? Okay. All right. So in uh, relatively early in the Long Beach Grand Prix, Scott Dixon is going into a corner. 
which has a false apex painted in for indeterminate reasons <laughs> that historically was a curb, but is not this year, but they painted it out of perhaps nostalgia. And Pato just throws his car in there, right across that paint and tarmac. And so yeet Scott Dixon, six-time series champion, greatest of all New Zealanders, into the tire barriers. Wh- what, what did you think? So, I, I want to say that this was not uh, Pato's fault, but it was definitely Pato's fault. A couple laps before, he'd pulled the exact same move on someone else. I think it might have been Erickson, and it worked out for I, mean, I don't know if it was Eric. It was he pulled the exact same move, and it worked out for him. He got ahead, he, no penalties. It was you know a racing incident. It was like great, it works. Going to do it again, and it did not work out for him. But when it happened the first time, my husband and I were watching, and he was like, "Oof, that was ugly." And I was like, "No, it's fine." But then it happened a second <laughs> time, and I have to agree with him. That was not a good move. Yeah, yeah. I you know it. He didn't get a penalty. IndyCar doesn't really get penalties, it seems like. Um, You know, if there's a way around it. Um, They were pretty side-by-side by by the time you got to the corner. But they got to side-by-side by by absolutely dive-bombing. Yeah, it was not... It was not gentlemanly racing. I'll put it that way. Yes. And then... Pato himself pointed out that after that, and after he took the Scott incident and was like, oh yes, this works for me again, he tried to do the same thing on race leader Kyle Kirkwood, only in such an absurd dive bomb that even he, Pato Ward, rumor of the room, had time to realize, oh, this is dumb. <laughs> I'm not going to make this. What am I doing? I'm going to crash into the leader. That's not cool. And slam on the brake so that he uh, tapped Kirkwood and spun around and ruined his race and some other guys' races, but did not interfere with the leader. Oh, yeah, okay. I was totally misremembering it. The Dixon move is one that at the time I was like, yeah, it's fine. And the Kirkwood one was where I was like, yeah, okay, the Dixon one was not fine. Yeah, exactly. And Pato himself, even as he stood up and said, I I will not apologize for the Dixon move, I will not change anything, um, he said, yeah, that was stupid. I I feel bad about that. I I should be better than that. Yeah. (laughs) Because literally... At that point, he was like, <laughs> he was perpendicular to the racing line at, at that point. And it's just like, Pato, my boy, you are you don't have a hover car. There's a wall there and a car. So, you know, um, Pato is still, you know, very high in the championship and can just sort of take this one as a learning experience. I have high hopes for him. This was not his race. Indeed. He's letting um, me down. He was also on my fantasy team. Eesh. Was Newgarden? No. Good for you, it turned out. Okay, so let's turn to, you know, the newfound Captain America, Joseph Newgarden, 
who rumors are flying is shirtless in the premiere of 100 Days to Indy, uh, which we will see and are eagerly waiting for. I'm so um, excited for it. Yes, genuinely. Um, he had a bad, you know, had an iffy qualifying. He took it, you know, took it on his own broad shoulders and said, you know, I feel like the car has the speed. You know, I'm not extracting it on quality day. But he was in the middle of the pack. And then he shot forward in the race start, which Scott Dixon also had some questions about uh, several rows of the uh, middle, uh, perhaps not getting their rolling start as gentlemanly as they could have. But Joseph shot forward was going toe-to-toe with Kirkwood. You know, maybe got a yellow that didn't perfectly align with his strategy. Um, And then there were two things. One of them was excellent, and one of them was just dispiriting and a bummer. So let's start with the excellent. When Joseph Newgarden pitted, he then got relief and shot forward and... in what can only be described as illegal in six deeply red states, twerking maneuver, tail wagging into pit merge, shot himself forward and slid in <laughs> to the group with inches to spare on either side. What did you think of that move? insane car well i was gonna say insane car control but i think it was actually lack of control but insane recovery exactly that was that was exactly on the line to where i think that was car control i think that was just like you know they whenever they take off they have to get so much torque down that they just wag from side to side and he had maybe less wagging than most he just wagged once all the way in with inches to spare and then corrected and went forward. So Joseph Newgarden, good with cars, it turns out. (laughs) Then the radio call came and Tim Sendrick, his strategist, told him that he was going to need to fuel save at a level that possibly could have replenished the United States Strategic Petroleum Reserve. <laughs> and, and Joseph said, look, man, that's a hard ask. And Tim just said, it's either that or finish P-18. <laughs> so I, I was texting you during the race when this was happening, and Joseph was immediately after coming out of the pits for his final stop having to immediately go into strong fuel saving and let cars pass him when he had been a contender the whole race up to that point. And I said, I really don't understand IndyCar's strategy with, um, you know, this fuel saving. Like, it seems like this is a little ridiculous. After the race, he intimated that there something had gone wrong. What was... What was your take in the moment and after of what was going on there? So in the moment, I was like, that's effed up. Uh, like, so that that can't be right. But I'm pretty sure that what, what has to have happened is that 
they screwed up their fuel calc because you don't want to put more fuel in than you're going to need for the race because that makes you heavy. That's the thing we see in F1, right? Where the cars are really heavy at the beginning, but by the end, they're putting in faster and faster laps. I mean, part of it's the rubber on the track, but a lot of it's, most of it's fuel weight. Uh, Wow, way to wait, Shane Elena. Fuel is heavy, dude. (laughs) Uh, So... I think that what it must have been that they screwed up their fuel calc and they underfueled. And so they were like, well, he either has to pit again so he can give him more fuel, which is a huge time sink, or he's just going to have to make it work. So that that's my take on what probably happened. So, so Pinsky bad at math. The Elena, the Elena I mean, take. That, that's like, I, I really, I'm kind of, I feel weird about it because like, that's not the kind of mistake you see Pensky making. But I can't come up with what else they could have done. And like fuel, so fuel's heavy, right? It's like six gallons, sorry, six pounds per gallon. And so like you don't want to put even one extra gallon in because we've like, you know how weight sensitive these cars are. But I mean, I just, I have to, I have to assume that that's what happened. They thought that they needed less fuel or I mean, maybe it wasn't even a calculation error. Maybe it was just a physical fueling error. They didn't like leave it connected long enough that is what i've sort of settled on after mulling about it is they were they were cutting it so close and joseph was doing such an extreme pit move that maybe you know the fueler didn't get fully engaged you know in an optimal way right away and so by the time they pulled off, just not enough physical fuel had gotten in as they had planned. And yeah, that... I don't. I mean, I don't know how the fueling systems work for IndyCar that well. I've got. I might see if there's some people I can talk to to find out. Uh, because I'm curious now. But it would surprise me if they didn't have some sort of like feedback. Uh, about the volume of fuel that was actually uh, dispensed. So that's the only reason Mm -hmm. I'm like, maybe they didn't, like maybe they miscalculated as opposed to just misfueling. But I mean, also maybe, you know, whoever was responsible for saying, okay, yeah, that's the amount we need, screwed up. Someone somewhere screwed up. And I just don't know where exactly. Exactly. And so I am... You know, with all of my uh, detailed uh, forensic investigation knowledge, pinning it on the fueler guy, saying that he either put it on early, I mean, put it on late, and or took it off early and didn't get enough fuel in, which once again makes the case for my proposal to have fuel that isn't this, you know, messy liquid stuff. But it's just a big chunk that you can hunk in and then use. <laughs> this is a great plan. I think you should patent that. I will. And, you know, you can patent anything. Yeah, so, I mean, it doesn't uh, have I, to be physically possible. <laughs> I'm sort of picturing, I'm picturing, you know how, like, wombat poop is, like, a cube? I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, no, this is, like, the, this is a... Wild fact about wombats, their poop is a cube. Cube? Yeah. Cube poop poop is a cube? I I looked up once how this physically works and I don't remember it because I have a terrible memory. 
But yeah, wombats poop cubes. And so my mental image is that like you've got like little like cubes, like wombat poop sized ones that you just like measure out the number you need and put like put them into the car. It's brilliant. I think we solved it. <laughs> can we make a car that have... runs on wombat poop? I'm sure we can. How fast? I don't know. We may need some time and development. But, you know, that's what investment is for. And that's why you tell investors that it has high upside. We'll pitch it as sustainable. Hey, FTX, call us. <laughs> oh, All right. So that, that has been a great uh, recap. I think we've hit all of the important points. Um, I just want to really uh, circle back on one, uh, one point, which is that... Helio is washed. Willpower too. I thought I was getting spicy here. So I'll make my pitch, then you can make yours. Um, Helio just keeps crashing into everything. And he I know he won the Indianapolis 500 like two years ago. But literally on lap one, the man just snapped his car into a wall. He is now getting legitimately dangerous. Um. He may not, it may be dangerous to keep him in the series until the end of the season. Woo, that's a hot take. And now you're up. So, I don't think Will Power is a danger to himself or others. I just think he's kind of slow. And, you know, I know he's got a lot going on in his life. Like, his wife's having some health issues. He pulled out of the uh, the Rolex 24 because of that. Um you know, he won last year that I think was a big driving factor for him sort of in staying in IndyCar. And I honestly am surprised he didn't retire at the end of last year. But dude, like St. Pete, he he had something like more than 50% of the polls ever. And he was just nowhere at that race. And he is known for being an incredibly good qualifier and has not been doing that. I mean, he mm-hmm. he might be over the hill. Uh, yeah, and what's especially interesting is Pinsky just renewed him to a multi-year extension. Well, maybe he'll retire and save everyone some embarrassment. Or maybe he will beat the washed allegations and I will have to eat my hat. <laughs> Readers, uh, if Will Power uh, comes on strong this season... Write in your suggestions for which hat Elena should eat to <laughs> redwhiteandroom at gmail.com. So this has been a great discussion. And so now this brings us to our ori, time-honored, ancient outro tradition, which is a favored random motorsport fact or anecdote. And Elena, I'm going to let you kick us off. Okay. So we have long bemoaned the lack of American representation in Formula One. And Logan Sargent this year is representing, you know, the red, white, and blue uh, stars and stripes on the grid. Mm -hmm. And the last American to start a Formula One race before him is Alexander Rossi, who Mm -hmm. started five races uh, in, in Formula One. And... At Miami, Logan's home race, he will match that number of race starts. Oh, all right. Good on you, Logan. You're, you know, 
uh, carrying forward, marking progress. Now, just please don't conclude your race up Nick DeVries's derriere. <laughs> Talk more about Logan Sargent, because I'm trying to remember one, and I actually had a good one that I thought of. I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say about Logan Sargent. He has not demonstrated uh, significant personality. Uh, he is sort of my sort of level of fandom for him, which is like middling. Uh, it's highly, highly dependent on the fact that he's the only American uh, in F1. He is notably very good friends with Kyle Kirkwood. And I suspect that if there were other another American in F1, or if Logan were in IndyCar, my feelings about him would uh, closely match those of uh, for his his good buddy. So I've always been told if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And I usually ignore that. But in this case, I think that I will refrain from speculating too much about Logan and the funding that got him to where he is in Formula One and any like familial connections or drama that may or may not exist. Um, and uh, that same principle, I think, can be applied to uh, the internet furor that apparently broke out and was descended upon Callum Eilat. I know a, a lot of folks have been talking about nastiness and stuff i have no interest in talking about that doesn't deserve anything uh like for alex rossi and his uh white house visit you know give it the old willpower double bird and we'll move along so thank you for joining us this has been red white and room podcasting until next time